Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 161, Apple's Spectacular Year on Wall Street. Hi, I'm Neil. With 2020 right around the corner, this is going to be the final episode of 2019. I think it's fitting that we conclude with the top financial story that faced Apple this past year. And of course, we have to look at Apple's performance on Wall Street. For the first time with Tim Cook as CEO, Apple's shares are trading at a premium to the overall market. Since the start of 2019, Apple's market cap has increased by $500 billion, or roughly the equivalent of Facebook's market cap. In today's episode, we're going to go over what I think is going on when it comes to Wall Street and Apple shares. Something has clearly changed when it comes to the way Wall Street is treating Apple. However, the items that analysts Pundits in the media position as catalysts for this dramatic change. Things like Apple services, iPhone sales rebound, 5G, improving U.S.-China trade relations. All of those items likely have little to nothing to do with Apple's share price outperformance in 2019. Instead, changing behavior as it relates to passive versus active investing may be creating a type of perfect storm for Apple shares. When looking back over the past 10 years of stock price performance, 2019 is on track to be the best one for Apple this decade. Apple shares are up nearly 80% in 2019. When comparing that to the S&P 500's performance, we are able to obtain Apple's outperformance. Shares are up more than 50% versus the market. For a company of Apple's size, that kind of outperformance is noteworthy. Given how Apple was already a large company heading into 2019, for the shares to be up nearly 80%, we are looking at more than a $500 billion market capitalization increase. To put that total into context, we can compare it to a few other companies that are pretty well known. So for example, if you add the market caps of Disney, Netflix, and three Spotify's, you come out to around $500 billion of market capitalization. Another example would be combining AT&T, Comcast, and a Spotify together. $500 billion is nearly two ExxonMobil's, three Boeing's, or six Goldman Sachs. We can look at entire industries. A $500 billion market capitalization is equal to about 16% of the entire energy sector. It's the market caps of the bottom 12% of the companies in the S&P 500. That's a total of 60 companies. Now, Apple has had wild swings in the past. We can look at 2018, for example, in which Apple shares went down quite a bit. But that doesn't take anything away from what happened in 2019 and such stark outperformance versus the overall market. On a forward PE multiple basis, and so what that's doing is taking the forward estimate of earnings for the next 12 months, I always use my estimate, that's from my Apple earnings model, above Avalon members have access to that model, If you don't use my estimate, you could always just use consensus estimates. And then you're taking the current price that Apple shares are trading at. 
that gives you a forward P.E. multiple. When looking at that basis, Apple shares now trade at a 20% premium to the S&P 500. That is a remarkable change versus prior years in which shares were trading at a steep discount to the overall market. Now, one way of interpreting all of this is that when looking at Apple's financial performance, revenue, operating income, earnings per share, or EPS, it's not that Apple's performance has dramatically improved in 2019. It's not that Wall Street is now expecting the company to generate so much more cash than maybe it was expecting at the beginning of 2019. Instead, the change is that Wall Street, the marketplace, is now valuing Apple's future cash flow stream at a higher multiple. Market participants are willing to pay more for Apple's future cash flow stream. Now, when it comes to valuation, my preferred valuation metric for Apple is free cash flow yield. That is the amount of free cash flow relative to enterprise value. Free cash flow is the amount of cash left over after management has paid all of the bills and maintained funded capital investments. It's the amount of cash that is generated from the business. Enterprise value is market capitalization minus net cash, which is debt minus cash. In fiscal year 2019, and again, Apple's fiscal year is one quarter ahead versus the calendar year. So we already have fiscal year 2019 results. Apple reported $58 billion of free cash flow. Apple is a free cash flow machine given its CapEx light business model. We went over this topic back in episode 104 titled Obscene Amounts of Cash. I will link that episode in the show notes For a lot more information on Apple's free cash flow, I would recommend taking a listen to that episode. You could pause this episode right now and then go back and listen to that episode. While Apple's free cash flow will fluctuate going forward, given the various moving parts, the combination of a stabilizing iPhone business and no major change in CapEx spending supports the idea that Apple's going to report similar levels of free cash flow over the next 12 to 24 months. Certainly, if you look out further than that, you could be talking about a different story. But at least in the near term, I think it's appropriate, it's fair to assume Apple can report somewhere in the neighborhood of $55 to $60 billion of free cash flow per year. Accordingly, we can use this figure, $60 billion of free cash flow, and Apple's current enterprise value, which is right around $1.1 trillion. Taking those two metrics, we can derive Apple's free cash flow yield. Right now, Apple shares are trading at a 5.2% free cash flow yield. How do you interpret that? The higher the yield, the lower the stock valuation. We can compare this free cash flow yield to other instruments such as government bonds or high-yield corporates. With those yields closer to 2.5%, a 5.2% yield for Apple's free cash flow yield suggests that Apple is still fairly attractive, at least when looking at it 
from a free cash flow yield basis. That's the thing when it comes to valuation multiples. Depending on what you're looking at, a stock could seem to be appropriately valued, overvalued, or undervalued. The key is to know which valuation multiple makes sense for the company in question. This is the difficult part in analyzing companies. Very often, some analysts, they may have a certain understanding of a company, but not the full understanding, because then what they'll do is they'll use the wrong valuation multiple. As a general rule, I like free cash flow because I think it gives us the best look at how a company is doing. I sometimes have concerns when just looking at an income statement or earnings because those numbers are easy to manipulate. And I don't think they just don't tell us the full story. Another takeaway that we reach by looking at free cash flow yield is that we can see the dramatic change in how the market is pricing Apple. The days of Apple trading like a steel mill just with a few years left of operations are in the rear view mirror. As recently as 2016, Apple was trading at a 17% free cash flow yield. The market really didn't care. Now, what was really going on at this time was that the market was unsure about Apple's business model and the sustainability of that free cash flow. And as we'll talk about shortly, when I say the market, what I really mean is the marketplace which is made up of various opinions, perspectives, viewpoints. When you combine all of those viewpoints together, the consensus view was that Apple's free cash flow wasn't going to be maintained. That's one reason why Apple shares were likely trading at such a low point versus that free cash flow. For discussion purposes, Apple shares will need to trade at $100 for the free cash flow yield to once again be at a 17% yield. So what is driving this Apple share outperformance in 2019? Longtime Above Avalon readers and listeners will be familiar with my consistent stance on how to determine what is behind a stock price's move. Unless we interview every market participant we are unable to know the exact reason why a stock price behaves the way it does. What that means is that when a company has news, it may be easy to say, well, that news event, that development must be behind the stock price move. In reality, there may be some people who see that news and interpret it in a different way. Some may see the news and decide to buy shares. Some may see the news and decide to sell shares. Others may sell the shares simply because the stock is moving for another reason. And the only reason they have to sell is because now maybe they are down too much on the stock. Maybe their certain parameter has been met. They have to now reduce exposure. The point here is that there's a lot of factors behind a stock price's move. We would have to ask every single person buying and selling shares, why are they doing that? Given the sheer difficulty found with that exercise, the task of determining specific reasons behind a stock price move is ultimately a fool's errand. The activity is nothing more than an attempt to add manufactured clarity to what is ultimately a lot of unknown. 
It is humans' discomfort with that unknown that plays a role in the financial press's never-ending quest to come up with exact reasons behind stock price moves. Turn on any TV channel dedicated to financial news. You'll see stock market is up today because of so-and-so. Shares are down because of so-and-so. It's all made up. Reporters, producers, they're trying to find reasons to explain what is the unknown. When it comes to Apple, the list of quote-unquote reasons that analysts and reporters claim are behind the stock's nearly 80% move in 2019 continues to grow. The following items have been given to explain what is going on with Apple's shares. A stabilizing iPhone business, stronger services growth, Apple management successfully navigating the geopolitical landscape in both the U.S. and China, wearables momentum, ecosystem momentum. Give it a few more weeks, we're going to get another reason why Apple shares are outperforming the market. There is a rather glaring problem found with all of those factors, all of those items. None are significant enough on their own to justify a $500 billion increase in market capitalization. Using a conservative measure as to what the iPhone business was previously valued at, Apple's market cap increase would represent the iPhone business seeing its valuation double in just 11 months. That is unrealistic for a mature business like the iPhone. Expectations would have had to move from Wall Street thinking the iPhone was dead, which is a few years of sales remaining, which really was never the case, to the business demonstrating some kind of free cash flow bonanza, which is also not the case. As for the idea that services is somehow behind Apple's spectacular rise, I'm skeptical. The problem with the theory is that there continues to be a lack of consensus out there as to what this services narrative is even about. Apple isn't becoming a services company. And there continues to be quite a bit of hesitation and skepticism from the buy side as to the sustainability of Apple services revenue, given its connection to Apple hardware and software. So the interdependency between Apple services and Apple products. My suspicion is that Apple's stock price run isn't driven by any single business-related item. The move in question is simply too large. Instead, a $500 billion market cap increase points to a wide variety of investors wanting greater Apple exposure. This increased interest results in higher stock prices. Why? A stock price is nothing more than the spot where demand for shares equals the supply of those shares. Why do investors want greater Apple exposure? Instead of looking at Apple's business for potential answers, we have to look at the dynamic found with passive versus active investing. One of the major financial themes from this decade has been the rise of passive investing. And one of the greatest examples, one of the best examples of this is growing popularity found with index funds. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this, but one of the major reasons is that investors are becoming increasingly disenchanted with mutual funds and active funds charging for underperforming the market. Instead of paying 
80 basis points or 100 basis points to ultimately underperform the market by a few hundred basis points, investors are showing interest in just simply buying an index fund and being okay with matching the performance of the broader index. Another way of saying this is that investors are starting to become more comfortable with a buy and hold strategy versus more in terms of active management, buying and selling more frequently. That's another theme found with active investing is more and more of these funds, they're not holding on to shares for too long. There is amount of churn that's going on that I think people are becoming uncomfortable with. Now, there is a flip side to this. There is a counterpoint. Active investors will point to their focus on risk diversification and the idea that their value comes into play when markets have difficult times. This decade has been pretty good from an equity perspective. So if we enter a period of increased volatility where we go through another huge drawdown similar to the end of the 2000s, the theory is, or the argument is, that active investing will come back into play. Maybe some funds will begin to, once again, outperform the market. I'm not sure about that. We can probably dedicate an entire episode to what may happen in this passive versus active investing situation. The point is, the momentum is found with passive investing. When you consider that money that may have been in a mutual fund, in a fund that was all about active investing, to have that money shift over to an index fund, it's almost like a double whammy. And even today, we see Wall Street, it's trying to cope with this change, with this shift. Nowadays, you're seeing some of these funds coming out, claiming to be passive. In reality, there is a layer of active management going on, and the fees being charged, well, they're kind of in the middle. That's why people have to be a little bit careful as to what exactly they're doing. As more funds are poured into passive investment vehicles, all of the Wall Street giants, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, they benefit. We can look at Apple as an example. Given Apple's market cap, the company is responsible or accounts for 4% of the S&P 500. What that means is that 4% of every dollar put in an S&P 500 index fund is allocated to Apple. While this mechanism doesn't necessarily lead to Apple's share of the overall market increasing over time, it can lead to sustained demand for Apple shares, regardless of business fundamentals. The implications found with this are immense. And I don't think enough attention has been given to this issue. Now, to be fair, outlets such as the Wall Street Journal have been publishing a few articles on this topic in recent years. However, they just don't seem to get that much play in the marketplace. I'll actually include links to three articles in the show notes from the Wall Street Journal that stood out to me. The first focus on how the growing popularity of passive investing may be leading to more volatile price swings. And we actually saw some of this take place in 2018, towards the end of 2018, there were certain stretches 
where Apple would fall 5 to 10%. And just, I think it was two or three trading days. It was pretty remarkable. The second article focuses on how the rise of passive investing has implications when it comes to corporate governance. Back in 2018, 20% of Apple's shares were owned by index funds. And so that's going to have implications when it comes to voting on, say, board of directors. And then the third article focused on how passive investing may be leading to more crowded trades in terms of active investing. And that just simply means that funds are getting behind fewer stocks and you're seeing more volatility in stock prices. So I think when you combine all three of those articles and all three of those topics, I think they're actually playing out in 2019. I think there are connections here. One of the major takeaways is that active investors may be losing their power to sway stock prices. And as a result, they are being forced into certain trades. Let us run with a quick scenario. We have active investors, hedge funds, mutual funds, pension funds. They're running with historically low exposure to Apple, which I actually do think was the case leading up to 2019. If you have Apple begin to materially outperform the market, that is going to place pressure on these active investors, given how they are often graded against a market benchmark. And what that means is that their performance is going to be judged relative to how the overall market does. Given how Apple represents over 4% of the overall S&P 500, an 80% move in the stock will likely make or break an active investor's year, depending on whether or not they own the stock. The most likely reason for Apple's run-up in the stock market in 2019, however simplistic it may sound, is that active investors have been desperately trying to increase their Apple exposure. You saw a good portion of the market get caught on a crowded trade. This stronger demand for shares has been leading to higher stock prices because you need demand for those shares to match the supply. A crucial piece of evidence for this theory is actually found with Microsoft. Microsoft shares are up more than 50% in 2019. That's a market cap gain of approximately $400 billion. We know Microsoft shares aren't up that much because of iPhone sales or Apple services. Instead, Microsoft is likely experiencing the same situation as Apple. Having shares of the two largest companies go up by 80%, 50% means that active investors need to be overly exposed to these companies or risk underperforming benchmarks. For those active investors late to the party, the need for exposure only intensifies. This is becoming a type of perfect storm. Some may call this situation FOMO, fear of missing out. Others may call it forced buying, the opposite of forced selling. In my opinion, that is what's going on with Apple shares. Notice how we're not talking about Apple's business. 
We're not talking about Apple services. We're not talking about Apple wearables. We're not talking about anything, any particular issue. Instead, we're talking about market dynamics. Warren Buffett ends up being a great symbol of this development. Back in 2016, Buffett began building his Apple stake after one of his portfolio managers introduced him to the idea. Since then, Buffett has been pretty quiet about his Apple investment. He talks about Apple from time to time, but when you listen to what he has to say, he doesn't actually say much about Apple. However, when you read the past few Berkshire annual reports, I think there's enough clues there to suggest why he's interested in Apple, why he owns so much of Apple. He is ultimately attracted by Apple's robust free cash flow and the company's balance sheet strategy, in which free cash flow is poured into share buyback and cash dividends. Buffett took advantage of active investors shunning Apple to increase his own exposure. Buffett's Apple stake is now worth $70 billion. That's an unrealized profit of about $34 billion. That doesn't include dividends. During the period when Buffett was acquiring his Apple stake, the two largest Apple buyers in the market were Apple and Buffett. Apple via the stock buyback and Buffett because he saw an opportunity. In some quarters, the buying from Apple and Buffett alone totaled as much as 10% of shares traded. That is astounding. As Apple and Buffett were buying shares, many other market observers remained on the sidelines for a number of reasons. Maybe unease surrounding Apple's business model, Apple's exposure to China, the list goes on. As for how the situation will end, no one knows. If someone proclaims to know, caution is needed. I would run away from that person. Instead, we can have confidence in two things going forward. The first is that valuations will matter eventually. The second is that this passive investment momentum will likely continue. This will only magnify the current trends that we see unfold on Wall Street, both to the upside and the downside. That's going to do it for today's episode. I did want to share one programming alert. In yesterday's Above Avalon Daily update, I took this discussion and went in a slightly different direction because I wanted to answer the question, is Apple now being valued like a services company? And so in order to answer that, I went over a few different ways of thinking about valuing Apple. I also shared my updated Apple earnings model. I published my fiscal year 2021 estimates. I do think there are some investors who are already beginning to focus on those numbers and maybe trying to, in some way, get ahead of those trends. I do think that plays a role in this broader idea of a number of different viewpoints, a number of different perspectives coming together when it comes to figuring out how best to value Apple. So I'll include a link to yesterday's daily update in the show notes 
The update is available exclusively to above Avalon members. These updates represent the cornerstone of above Avalon membership. Daily updates are 2,000 words and are sent via email Monday through Thursday. These updates include my analysis and perspective on the most important stories and news impacting Apple. Unlike other paid emails that may sporadically talk about Apple, every Above Avalon daily update is focused on Apple. Approximately 200 daily updates are published throughout the year. And there are other ways of consuming the daily updates. For example, there is an option of receiving a consolidated weekly version of the daily updates. There is an RSS feed available for members. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would get a lot of value out of these daily updates and Above Avalon membership. In addition to the updates, Above Avalon membership does include access to things like my earnings model at no additional cost. The model is fully functional and adjustable. It is an Excel file that also works in numbers. Above Avalon members also have access to Above Avalon reports at no additional cost. These are deep dives into Apple's business and financial strategy. Each report is 4,000 to 5,000 words and covers one Apple topic. Additional member privileges and benefits include access to the archive, so you can go back and read previously sent daily updates and reports. There is also a forum, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. To become an Above Avalon member, all you have to do is head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. Sign up is very easy. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Apple Pay is accepted. The membership page also includes answers to the most frequently asked questions, and there are a few sample daily updates available so you can get a sense of the type of discussion that is found in each email. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. If you are planning on becoming an Above Avalon member or thinking about becoming a member, thank you in advance. With that, the last episode of 2019 comes to a close. It's been a great year for Above Avalon. Thank you for listening to the Above Avalon podcast. For those of you celebrating, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, and here's to having a great start to 2020. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.